Thee open Thy Word and listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking through the inspired pages. May the Spirit of inspiration come upon us all. Amen. We thank Thee that the same voice which spoke in the long ago can speak, longs to speak, to each one of us here. O oh, my Master, for this, this little time that we're together this morning, shut us in with Thee. We thank Thee in Jesus' name. Amen. In Second Chronicles, the 25th chapter, we have a very interesting story. You know, um, the Bible says that what things soever were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. In this 25th chapter of Second Chronicles, we read about the experience of Amaziah. In the fifth verse, he gathered all Judah together and he had 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war. And then beside that, he hired 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. Now notice, he had 300,000 he hired from the neighbor, apostate Israel. A hundred thousand more for a hundred talents of silver. Seventh verse. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go to it, be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Now there are several lessons that uh, throng in on us as we read this. First, he should have asked counsel of God when? Before. Before. Second, it isn't a good thing to confederate, not only with the world, but even with those who bear the name of the people of God, when because of their apostasy the Lord is not with them. We need a great deal of discernment to know how to apply this in a way that is not bigoted and narrow on the one hand or too broad on the other. The third thing we notice here is that even when we have gotten into a hard situation, thank God we can back out. Now we need that. Do you know why people that build cars put a reverse gear in a car? There are times when the only way out is to back out. Can you back out? Oh, a leader should never back out. 
the Lamb Isaiah was a leader. But the spirit of prophecy said, Amaziah, you'd better back out of this. Oh, but he says, look at all the money we've invested. See, all the money we've already invested. Yes. Prophet said, I know about that. But the Lord is able to give you much more than this. It pays to listen to the spirit of prophecy even when it means to back up and back out, right? Now you notice the result of it was that uh, the ones that were not allowed to go, their anger was greatly kindled and uh, they didn't like it at all. And uh, at any rate, God blessed and uh, he uh, went ahead with the program as God had planned. Uh, now, this morning, I'd like to have us think for a little about this matter of following the Lord on every detail. While we're here in Second Chronicles, let's go to the 20th chapter and the 20th verse. Here's another wonderful story. This is when Moab, Edom, and Ammon came against Judah, and Jehoshaphat sought the Lord earnestly, and the Lord heard him, told him to put singers before the army as they went out. The last part of the 20th verse, Jehoshaphat said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. How does prosperity come? Listening to the prophet. Listening to the prophet. And God has given us, in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, so much precious counsel. And uh, this is what he wants us to study. I'm so glad for this book, Medical Ministry, aren't you? Page 61, page 61, the bottom of the page. I am instructed to say, what does she mean, I am instructed to say? Yes, it's in some idea that popped into her head. I am instructed to say that in our educational work there is to be no compromise in order to meet the world's standards. God's commandment-keeping people are not to unite with the world, to carry various lines of work according to worldly plans and worldly wisdom. Our people are now being tested as to whether they will obtain their wisdom from the greatest teacher the world ever knew or seek to the God of Ekron. Let us determine that we shall not be tied by so much as a thread to the educational policies of those who do not discern the voice of God and who will not hearken to his commandments. Near the, down below the middle of the page, there is danger in their attaching themselves to worldly institutions and working under the ministrations of worldly physicians. 
Now this is why we have a total Seventh-day Adventist staff. Is that right? This is it. And there's danger. Have we reached the time when literally thousands of our people are not afraid of this danger? Oh, yes. Scores of institutions where the world and the church are all mixed up. We've come to a time, and it's to weep about, when it's considered a wonderful goal to have a certain percentage of the total staff, Seventh-day The objective of a total SDA staff has long since been surrendered as impracticable, impossible. But now, dear one, let me ask you something. You will all agree in the answer to this. Is merely having the name on the church book, is that the goal? What is the reason for having a total SDA staff. Isn't it so that everyone is a living, vibrant Christian capable of receiving from Jesus and passing on to the patient and the student? Isn't that it? Yeah. And you notice in what we read from Second Chronicles there, 25, that God did not want even the children of Ephraim to go with that army of Judah. See, they had their golden calves that they were worshiping. And I want to tell you something, friends. There's too many members of the remnant church and too many institutions of the remnant church that are worshiping golden calves. And God says, be careful. Don't get into that. Don't assume that that kind of help is what you need. No, no. Now, I don't, I'll be frank with you, I don't know all the reasons why our minds are led to this this month. And I doubt if anybody here does. But I have found by long experience that God often burdens our minds to study something to get us ready for something we're going to meet a few minutes later or days or weeks later. And uh, uh, as I saw somewhere this quaint little way of putting it, the best time to prevent an accident is before it happens. See, let's see. And if you and I will study the spirit of prophecy and be afraid of worldly education and worldly institutions and worldly physicians and worldly educators in any line, oh, dear ones, God wants to make this little place truly a center from which light will radiate in many directions. I want to measure up, don't you? I'm sorry, many times. Sorry that I've been so slow. Now, you take in this matter of equipment. My mind was led yesterday to look up something in a little book that uh, Elder Burden got out in Loma Linda, back before most of us here was born. Printed in their little press. 
This is called the Medical Evangelistic Library. There were several numbers of this. This tiny little uh, booklet. But uh, in it, much of it is quotations from the testimonies that Sister White sent, Elder Burton. I want to read just a little here this morning. Now let me say, so that I won't be misunderstood, I do not have any specific thing in mind. For one thing, I'm not sufficiently acquainted with all the equipment that we have to be a judge. Number two, I'm not sufficiently knowledgeable to know what we need and what is most important. So I'm not in any way sitting on the judgment seat when I read this. But having said that, let me say, I believe the reason the Lord gave these warnings is because somewhere we need them, somewhere along the line. And uh, uh, did you ever have a corn on your foot? If somebody happens to run against you, how do you feel? Pulling your foot back. Yeah, you feel sore, don't you? Why is it? Well, there are two reasons. One is somebody ran his foot against your foot. But the basic reason is you have a what? A corn. And if when we listen to the words of the spirit of prophecy, we feel inwardly the slightest irritation, we can well wonder whether or not we have a corn. Do you get my thought? Our vision should be such that every ray of light is a joy to us. So, with this in mind, I read. Now, this was written back in 1906 when they were just starting Loma Linda. For several days I thought of writing to you. If you want the reference for this, this is number five of the Medical Evangelistic Library, page 18. And if there's some of you that would like this, I have an extra copy for you. For several days I thought of writing to you. I may have written to you regarding the equipment of your treatment rooms, but fearing that I have not, I will come right to the point. When we were at the Paradise Valley Sanitarium, we were conducted through the new treatment rooms. One room was elaborately fitted up with electrical appliances for giving the patients treatment. That night, I was instructed that some connected with the institution were introducing things for the treatment of the sick that were not safe. One was conversing with the doctors and with great earnestness was saying, Never, never carry out your wonderful plans. There have been various mechanical devices brought into the treatment rooms that are expensive. Several things were mentioned that have been brought into the sanitarium which were not necessary. The amount of money which some of these machines cost and the salary which must be paid to the one who operates them should be taken into consideration. Now, I'm reading this about a treatment room. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit will apply it to all our work, to our printing work, Brother Bolton, to our tape recording work, Brother Randall. 
to every phase of our operation. I know what it means to farm on this place when there was no mechanical equipment of any kind. Many of these fields I've plowed again and again with a mule. And hundreds of these rows I've gone on up and down with a hoe. I've seen students, many of them, in the cornfield together, hoeing corn. Rototiller? No. Tractor? No. All mule power and manpower. Yeah. And uh, we raise quite a bit of food, too. Now, I, I'd like to have us think, then, of our total program. Don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that I, if I was a dictator, I'd banish all the mechanical equipment. That isn't what I'm getting at. There are two things, three things we want to keep in mind. First, we're preparing students to work right up to the close of probation. Is that right? Second, all these mechanical things cost money that's got to be earned somewhere. Add to the cost. Expensive equipment, whether in the print shop, the tape recording, the farm, the treatment rooms, our medical facility, all that costs money, costs money, costs money. Third, the more sophisticated our equipment the more we narrow down the number of people who can use it. How many people can drive a tractor? It isn't safe to turn everybody loose with a tractor. But almost anybody can be turned loose with a hole or a spade. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. This is very important. But there's another reason for all of this. The simpler our methods, volume 7, 215, the more we will accomplish. God delights to use simple methods in the treatment of the sick and in all we do because that way he gets the glory. He gets the glory. So, Sister White, continuing on writing to Elder Burden. Now I am certain that great care should be taken in purchasing electrical instruments and costly mechanical fixtures. Move slowly, Brother Burden. Move slowly, Brother Burden, and do not trust to men who suppose that they understand what is essential and who launch out in spending money for many things that require experts to handle them. Someone has told facetiously of a young mother who added this labor-saving, time-saving device, and this one, and this one, and this one, and finally, she had such a bunch of them, somebody asked her how she was getting along. She said, fine, except that she had to go to work to pay the money for the maintenance man to keep them all operating. 
We smile at that, but uh, the people that have to pay the bills don't smile. And maintenance of all these gadgets in the home, in the institution, it takes a lot of money, right? And it will more as time goes on. We've come to the jet age, the computer age. But God's work is going to be finished in another direction. The utmost simplicity. I read on. Several times I have been instructed that much of the elaborate, costly machinery used in giving treatments did not help in the work as much as is supposed. With it, we do not get so good results as with the simple appliances we used in our earlier experience. The application of water in various simple ways is a great blessing. I shall have more to say about these matters later, but I wish now to say that all patients should keep out of doors as much as possible. Many will be benefited by sleeping in the open air. This is Southern California. Keep the patients out of doors as much as possible and give them cheering, happy talks in the parlor with simple reading and Bible lessons easy to be understood, which will be an encouragement to the soul. You notice the, the spiritual work is to be kept what? Simple. Talk on health reform. And do not you, my brother, become burden-bearer in so many lines that you cannot teach the simple lessons of health reform. Those, notice this next statement, it's tremendous in its insight. Those who go from the sanitarium should go so well instructed that they can teach others the methods of treating their families. What a goal for every patient. What an objective for every student. Those who go from the sanitarium should go so well instructed that they can teach others the methods of treating their families. There is danger. Notice how she comes back to it again and again. There is danger of spending far too much money on machinery and appliances which the patients can never use in their home lessons. Now here is a pretty fine strainer to put things through. Let me reword it to paraphrase it. Or the lesson I get from it, I should say, rather than paraphrase. The lesson I get is the more we can use equipment that the patient can use when he goes home, the nearer we're reaching this objective. Is that right? Thank the Lord. This applies all along the line. Then we think of our students going out here. We want, in our medical work, in our agricultural work, and in every phase of our program, as far as possible, to use equipment which people can use in West Virginia, in Colorado, in Canada, in Zambia, in India, in Texas. Am I correct? Yes. And don't misunderstand me. I don't want to be an extremist. I don't want anybody here to. But I'll tell you honestly, I don't think we're very close to that ditch. I think our human tendency and, and the influence of the education which we've received is to get us too close to the other ditch, the ditch that this is warning against. So, 
there is danger of spending far too much money on machinery and appliances which the patients can never use in their home lessons. They should rather be taught how to regulate the diet so that the living machinery of the whole being will work in harmony. You'll be interested in the next sentence. This is 19.6. Let them become intelligent in regard to the importance of laying aside corsets and shortening their skirts. Such lessons will be to the women more valuable than they can estimate. All right, now I leave that. And may I repeat what I said before I read any of this? I have no particular thing as a target. There's no particular piece of equipment in any phase of our work that I'm hitting at. First thing, I'm not acquainted enough with the equipment. Second, I'm not knowledgeable enough to know what we need and what we don't need. But the Holy Spirit will help us all as leaders here this morning to get a renewed vision of the beauty of simplicity and the, and the importance of training our students in methods which they can use in the jungles of Central America and uh, in Africa and uh, in Appalachia as well as being able to meet the sophisticated patients of the upper strata that we get here from time to time. All right, now I'd like to go to another experience here in the Old Testament. We'll uh, get another lesson. This is about Rehoboam. First Kings, the uh, 12th chapter. You remember that because of the apostasy of Solomon, things went from bad to worse in the total kingdom of Israel, and the Lord had to allow the kingdom to be divided at the time of the death of Solomon. And the precipitating cause of this was the arrogant nature of the young king, Rehoboam, as he took the throne. But when the ten tribes revolted, Rehoboam assembled all the army to go up and fight and bring back the ten tribes. 22nd verse, the word of the Lord, the word of God, came unto Shemiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. Here's another case where a whole army was assembled, ready to go out and fight. And one man, a prophet, not the king, not a priest, a prophet, stood up. And the king and his counselors and the whole army 
stop their whole plan. With all their apostasy, sometimes they showed quite a bit of respect for the spirit of prophecy, didn't they? The Lord help us to do as well. Now, what was the counsel? Don't fight against your brethren. That's what it says. Don't fight against your brethren. You know, one of the things I thank the Lord for in the development and progress of the work at Wildwood is that God again and again has impressed our hearts with this lesson of not fighting our brethren. There have been times when reports have been circulated that were seemingly damaging to the work here. We could have gotten out what governments call a white paper and presented our case and documented and cleared ourselves of the charges. But uh, while it might have stopped certain rumors, it would have put us in the position of seeming to attack others in the effort to defend ourselves. This is the way more than one offshoot has started. Thank God for it. He has kept Wildwood from going that road. Now, dear ones, we're in a moment of uh, favored attitude. There are many people who used to raise their eyebrows when they heard the name Wildwood that now lift their hearts in thanksgiving. But as always, in the moment of prosperity, there lurks great danger. One of the greatest blessings God wants us to cherish is the lesson of unity. Respect for and love for the church and its leaders. Respect for and love for our fellow workers on this campus. And the leadership here in various lives. and respect for and love for our fellow workers scattered over the country and over the world as represented in these maps. We are not divided. All one body we. And as Paul says, using the illustration from physiology in 1 Corinthians, if one member suffers, what about it? We all suffer. I pray that God will give us all, in our deepest hearts, a great love for people, his people. A great love for people, his people. Now, the world has its motivation.
the world deliberately trades upon the motivation of selfishness or competition. An enterprising sales manager in the world will say to his staff, now we're going to give a prize to the salesman that sells the most Chevrolets this month. And so they all work to do what? To get the most. But now listen, if you and I are salesmen on that team, and I see you talking to a, one of my customers, how do I feel? Yeah. Don't bother that fellow. He, he, he's mine. I'm about to close a deal on him. Do you see what I mean? Everything remotely like this must be emptied out of our hearts. Let God work through whom he will. But somebody says, the brethren have made me responsible for a certain institution or a certain department of that institution. Indeed, what for? Not to exploit anybody. Not to build up yourself at the expense of others. If you and I are leaders, we are to be leaders in love. Leaders in generosity. But what shall I do for the hundred talents of silver that I've expended? What was it we read in that opening passage? The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I share with you an interesting statement in manuscript 96, 19.2. Here the prophet says, there is a sentiment among our people, opposed by some, it is true, but held by many, that each one connected with God's service may be sharp, keen, and designing in order to make the best possible showing, indicating that his line of work is a success. Those who continue to hold to this idea will be bitterly disappointed when at the judgment they find that they have no place in the kingdom of God. False principles will never prevail in heaven. Not one thread of selfishness is to be brought into any part of God's service in his work upon the earth. We are to be shrewd managers, brethren, whether in the hospital, at the nutrition center, or in the press, the tape recordings, or in our homes. We're to be shrewd managers, but that shrewdness, don't miss it, is to be exercised in saving that which would be wasted rather than whittling something off of somebody else to build up my department my phase of the work, my institution. Do you see the difference? This is the difference between heaven and this earth. This is it. See, I'm to be careful 
never wasting a nickel. But when I see an opportunity to advantage myself personally or my department at the expense of some other person personally or his department, I'm to lean in the which direction? Help the whole. The other party. The other party. This is right. This is the principle. There are many statements on this in the spirit of and this is foundational in our total medical missionary program. The very essence of true medical missionary work is love. And love is not selfishness. So, dear ones, let's be very careful in all our departments to save, but never at the expense of our brethren. See, when we have opportunity where we can lean a little this way or a little that way, let's lean in the direction of generosity. And what about the hundred talents of silver? God is able to give you much more than this. Much more than this. Oh, yes. Sister White tells about a, a lady over in Australia that embraced the truth. And uh, she needed help. And she went as a patient and then finally she came and stayed with Sister White. And Sister White took her into her home without any charge because the dear woman needed it. And Sister White in writing about this says, For years I have had these things presented before me and I cannot forbear. 10,000 times more prosperity will rest upon families and institutions who will work on these principles and thus represent the character of Christ. So, our emphasis this morning is on two great principles. One is simplicity. The other is love, unity, and generosity. Simplicity and love. Simplicity and love. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.